Listener Production. You may order a coffee, say hi to a colleague on your way to work, think about how nice the sun looks at golden hour, congratulate a teammate on their epic try. Every day, we're communicating to ourselves and the people around us without ever thinking about just how integral it really is. Verbal, non-verbal, written or visual, there are just so many ways in which we communicate. But how well we communicate impacts our quality of life and helps us understand the world we live in. It's how we express ourselves, our needs, our wants and our desires. Even the seemingly simple act of saying our name communicates to the world who we are and where we've come from. Hi, my name is Taylor. Taylor, tell me a little bit about preschool. What was your favourite part of being at preschool? Um, when we were learning letters for big school and numbers and so we can sing properly and we can talk properly. Listening to her here now, you wouldn't know that at the start of last year, Taylor found it hard to say her name at all. Learning how to sing and talk properly might sound like regular activities for kids in preschool, but for kids with speech and language delays, it's a challenge that needs professional intervention. So if little ones have not got communication skills well established, then It's challenging to understand what is being said in the classroom. It's potentially challenging to build social networks. It's also difficult to express yourself. Taylor, uh, she's a really good little girl. She's just started kindergarten this year and uh, she does martial arts twice a week, um, does swimming, so she just loves being outdoors. So my name is Taylor Kelly Scholes. I'm a Dungari woman from Kempsey. Um, and my daughter, Taylor, went through the speech program at Daliga Preschool. When this program started, what, what did you initially think about it or how did you hear about it? Um, I heard about it through the school. Um, so they asked if Taylor wanted to be involved in it. She did have a speech problem at the time because she used to have a dummy. She had a really bad lisp. Um, so she hadn't seen a speech therapist before that. We don't have a paediatrician or anything that sits in Kempsey, so it's very hard and, yeah, just long wait times to access the services. More than 50% of Indigenous populations live in remote areas with limited access to specialist services like speech pathology. The lack of services in country areas like Kempsey also disproportionately impacts Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. It's an issue the University of Newcastle, the Gunawira Organisation, Dulaga and Scribbly Gum Preschools and the Von Wheeler Foundation are working hard to solve with the launch of a speech pathology program. A program that helped Taylor get back her voice and is helping others to do the same. Hi, I'm Shani Wellington, a proud Wandy Wandy and Gerringer woman and I'm from the University of Newcastle. This is The Minds Changing Lives. I really wanted to get in there and work with kids and make things fun. Jane Ella is a speech pathologist based in Port Macquarie. 
But before she could graduate from her degree at the University of Newcastle, she needed to complete a final year paediatric placement. She was one of four students to complete their placement as part of the inaugural Gaiting Garaga Wa Witting program, connecting children with speech and language delays to specialist speech pathology services, some for the first time ever. I worked with a little boy in one of our classrooms and he had a severe speech sound delay. So there was a lot of sounds that he couldn't produce correctly. Um, So he couldn't speak clearly and that affected how other people were understanding him. It was giving him a lot of frustration because he couldn't be understood. The main thing was he couldn't say his name clearly. The first initial of his name was one of the sounds that he struggled with. So when people came up to him and asked him what his name was, he couldn't tell them his name clearly. And he just gets so frustrated and so cranky and didn't really understand sort of why nobody else could understand him and why it was so hard. And that made him really withdrawn and didn't really want to interact with others because he knew that they'd ask him to repeat himself or they'd, you know, single him out or or put that, um, I guess, shame on him for not being able to articulate clearly. We'd sit down and we'd play a lot of games, which is so great that we can do in speech pathology. Everything can be fun. So we started practicing some of those sounds that he couldn't say and getting our tongue in the right position to be able to produce it. So we worked on that for the whole time I was on placement. Got to the last few weeks um, and he came up to me as we were about to start the session. He watched me walk in the classroom and, hi, Auntie Jane, hi, Auntie Jane. And he said, my name is, and he said his name clearly. And I nearly (laughs) fell over. (laughs) I just, it was, I had tears in my eyes and it was just that moment where I went, oh my gosh, we've, we've made a difference. We've, you know, look at his confidence. He can say his name and he felt, he just felt confident enough to number one, initiate a conversation with me, which he would never have done before. And then to articulate himself clearly enough to be able to say his name, which is part of his sense of identity and his sense of self, part of his culture. It was just, it was phenomenal. That feeling, I just am so happy that I can um, get that feeling nearly every day when I'm um, working as a speech pathologist now. So tell us a little bit about the program. So where did you, which area did you end up focusing on? So the program's called the Gayuting Garaga Wawiting program, which is talk mouth lips in the Dungadi language. And yeah, we got straight into doing those speech and language, that sort of aspect of speech pathology with them, a little bit of multimodal communication as well. We do some sign language. Hi, I'm Gwendolyn. I'm a speech pathologist. I work as a speech pathology lecturer at the University of Newcastle in the School of Health Sciences. The program is a wonderful collaborative effort and basically the Von Willer Foundation supplied the funding for the project to get up and running and the Gunawira organisation have provided us with connection and cultural mentoring. And it's actually about the University of Newcastle speech pathology students coming into Dalligar and Scribblygum Dalai preschools in Kempsey. And the students are there on their final fourth year placement and they need to do an extended paediatric placement, so placement with children in their final year, supervised by a practising speech pathologist who's uh, obviously familiar with the context and, and knows how to get the best out of the situation. Do you mind, like, telling us a little bit about, you know, what what is speech pathology for us average bears who, <laughs> who don't really know? What, how would you explain your profession to someone? I could talk all day about speech pathology. There are 
certain areas that we practice in. So speech, language, voice, fluency, swallowing, and then multimodal communication as well. So um, they're sort of the six practice areas that we delve into. And the most common would be the speech and language, which is what we do a lot with the kids um, that I'm working with. The whole range of of conversation and communication and speech clarity. So it can be from paediatrics, so from children, right through to adults who may have had a stroke or a brain injury and are having difficulties communicating. We work with little ones and essentially also with the carers or the support people who are so integral to progressing people's communication and participation. It's often a very long-term process and it's it helps children to participate in society really. So if little ones are having difficulties communicating, then they just may not have the opportunity to, to make as many friendships or to, as they get into their school age years, to be able to engage with the curriculum as well as we would like. So really accessing speech pathology allows the little ones to enhance their social network, but also to succeed academically. We need to understand what other people are saying and we need to make sure that other people can understand what we're saying, especially for kids. They, you know, people are looking after them. They're looking to teachers to to do things for them and to help them. And if they can't articulate and um, explain what they want and what they need, even just, you know, what they like, what they had for breakfast, those things that you talk about when you're having conversation. The journey and the story that we created with Newcastle Year began when the educators and parents in the in Kempsey told me there was an 18-month waiting list for their child to see a speech therapist and I just, uh, you know, I become quite upset about that and felt quite ill actually and um, immediately set about trying to think, well, how can I, how can I stop that? Graham Toomey is the CEO of not-for-profit Aboriginal organisation Gunawira. They provided cultural support to the program, having seen the impact of delayed intervention broadly in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. Graham was determined not to let speech be one of them. Gunawira is all about early intervention, getting in and setting children up, particularly Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children with health and education. We talk more about the impact that reading a book to a child has, and it's not so much about the learning of it, it's the bond that can create mum and dad to the child, and they need that love, they need that care, right? You know, I go up there a lot throughout the year and I I sit with parents and, look, we had a, a workshop earlier in the year and and the frustration with the parents saying that their children are falling behind and they can't see a specialist in town and to see a mother break down because of that, you don't forget that in a hurry. How long can it take for that treatment to be successful or how long would it take for a young child to get help in an area like this? Essentially, the earlier the better is probably the biggest thing that we know. Early intervention can have real effects on a trajectory of a child's performance and development. What we're aiming for, I guess, is that a child is well supported by the time they start school so that they can make the most of the opportunities that school presents to them. For some of our little ones, 
who have really quite severe difficulties, we might be looking at not, I guess, a closed time frame of treatment, but more that there's uh, ongoing supports in place and that everybody can connect with the necessary supports easily. The need for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander kids in country areas to connect with those necessary supports like speech pathology is huge. Intergenerational trauma, family issues and health issues can all affect a child's ability to communicate. Were there any kind of focus areas or reasons that you wanted to go to Kempsey in particular and tell us a bit about Kempsey and the challenges that they were facing um, before this program arrived? There were reasons, yes. So I guess we are very aware that there there are needs in the rural communities in Australia in terms of services. There's just less services there, so more difficult for people to access the services. Um, So that's one sort of area that we're very conscious of. And another area is that our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children are particularly at risk of having difficulties with developing language and communication skills that are necessary for school. So we really wanted to make sure that we were providing as much support in the areas that were really necessary. Areas are crying out for speech pathologists, especially in rural and regional remote areas. Probably across all Australia, I think we just need more speech pathologists in those areas where there's just no access. Kids just can't access these services. You know, telehealth is fantastic because we can get in touch with communities and remote areas that sort of previously we couldn't. But having that face-to-face support and doing those face-to-face sessions is so important. Um, And there's just not enough, not enough speech pathologists to go around. (laughs) It cuts me very deep because I I sit here now and I can reflect about what the situation is up in those country areas. And look, we work very closely with the the parents in the community and and I hear their concerns every time I go up on country. So it's, you know, very frustrating for me and and everyone at Gunawira uh, in not being able to find the resources, find the people to be able to, to, to fill those gaps that are up there. But it's a bit of, there's a bit of hope there now. Could you take us through maybe what a day in the program looks like? What, what is it? Um, how does it go for you and for those little kids? Yeah, so we'd rock up at Dalaga Preschool or Scribbly Gum in the morning. Um, we'd come in the front gate. Auntie Debbie would greet us and she'd say, Yo, why, Auntie Jane? Or... Um, whoever was coming in, which made us feel so welcome, that just that first step in is a great way to start the day with a bit of language. And then so we'd go in, we'd go into the classrooms, we'd sit with a few of the kids that we'd sort of identified as having some delays that really needed the services. So we'd sit with them. A lot of our sessions are really heavily play-based and game-based because school kids aren't going to want to engage with you and participate if it's not going to be fun. So (laughs) um, we have to make everything we do really engaging and really high reward. So lots of stickers, lots of high fives. We'd have lots of self-reflection time and lots of time to look back on um, research and then integrate that with how to, yeah, I guess, put that into culture and make it appropriate and make it, just make it engaging for the kids. Also, we'd go back into the classroom and have some group time, which was really important to 
I guess, get those conversational skills happening and those pragmatic skills in the context of getting them ready to go to school. So we'd work on things like syllables and rhyming, onset rhyme, which is the start of a sound in a word, just being able to identify that. All these different elements that come under phonological awareness, we call them. So that's those skills that are um, the foundation of literacy skills. Just, yeah, so much time spent doing session plans and making things fun and making sure we were targeting the right things and doing the things a speech pathologist is supposed to do, but tweaking them so we can make them really fit into the preschool and fit into what the kids are going to want to do and how to help the kids get the best out of it. Games, stickers and, well, fun are not exactly the first things that come to mind when you think of a health professional's toolbox. But for speech pathologists, they are integral in the success of a child's treatment and a key learning objective for the students at the University of Newcastle. Children are only going to be motivated to participate in an activity if it's fun, really. That's their way of learning. So we really need to make sure that we are ensuring that when we set up an activity for a child to participate in, it's going to be an area of interest for them. It's going to obviously have learning involved in it, but learning mapped to their interests. And if they're not engaged, how does it go? Do do we have super fun games ready to pull out at the at the ready that's going to reel them back in? We do. We have, uh, look, I think we have to look at why they're not engaged. So that's probably what the students are really learning as well is, okay, if a child is not engaging in the activity, what do we need to do as a speech pathologist to make it something that they want to be part of? And there's a whole lot of different ways we can do that, but it's really about reflecting on where is the child? Have we pitched it too high or too low for their interest level? Um, do we need to relook at what the task is um, and make sure that it's pitched at just the right level so the child is gaining and having some success, but it's not too easy? Mm, yeah. For sure. With 80% of Indigenous Australians speaking Aboriginal English at home, integrating community-specific language into speech pathology is another key component determining the success and uptake of treatment. It's a unique approach taken by the University of Newcastle students, giving them opportunities to apply the knowledge they've learnt at uni about holistic care, client-centred care and family-centred practice in a real-world setting. You talk about using, you know, Dungari language there. How, how does it help with such young fellas being able to learn their language at that age? And how does it help them, like, understand their own culture? Is that pretty cool? Yeah, oh my gosh, it is just amazing to see. I think when I first got in there, that was hearing language spoken. I know I went to school in Kempsey and I grew up in Kempsey and we didn't really speak much Dungari language or it wasn't really in the schools. And to walk in on that first day and be greeted with Yawai, which is hello, I was like, wow, they, they're using language in the preschool. The kids are learning, you know, they've got their English, but they're also learning their, their language. It was so powerful. And then we were able to learn from the kids too. You know, they have their learn to count basic words, things like learning auntie. Everybody was an auntie at the preschool, which was magnificent when the kids got to know you enough and they were saying, hi, Auntie Jane, or yawai, Auntie Jane. And She loves Jane, yeah. Yeah, Auntie Jane, she was telling me before. <laughs> yeah, talking. always talks about her, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. And Jane was talking a bit about, um, you know, culture 
and that they do that a lot at the preschool. Well, what has she learned about, about language and everything like that? They based a lot of their education and learning around culture. Um, yeah, so I think that's really good about that school, um, something that's unique about it. You know, when, when we talk about Aboriginal culture in this country, uh, people need to understand that it is healing for our people, whether you're three years old. I walked into a classroom up there one day in Kempsey and a little boy was having a tough day, eh? he's crying, and I walked over and I had a boomerang in my bag and I gave that boomerang to that little fella and the look he gave me when he looked up at me and he started trying to dry his eyes was priceless, incredible, un unforgettable. The look of pride in his face, it, it completely changed his day, he became an unhappy child into a happy child and he carried that boomerang around all day like it was the last thing he was ever going to carry, I can tell you. And that culture has incredible power and healing power, but also that educating and that knowledge that we've got to keep moving forward, sharing and all those sort of things. And just like, you know, speech therapy and all, everything they talk about today, it's just about sharing that and getting people to relate and understand and and, and come for a journey with us, create a story with us and we can achieve extraordinary things. Tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, the research and that you've undertaken at the University of Newcastle. Yeah, so, well, my degree was um, four years all up and in that final year, uh, the honours year that we did, we undertook a research review, we called it, so I specifically was always drawn to the idea of speech pathology working with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. It was so broad, I could just dive in and, um, and pick whichever way I wanted to go with that. So did lots of research just about culture in general, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture and how communication and how speaking is involved with that. And then that sort of funneled me down a path and my sort of end result was a research review about how we can use rapport building. Um, so making those one-on-one -on -one connections, um, making those connections with community and really getting to know each other and having that mutual respect. Culture is integral to who a person is and language is linked to culture. So our language reflects our culture basically. Um, so our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander colleagues or peers or children will be communicating in a way that suits their cultural context, if you like. They may or may not have Indigenous languages as, um, you know, one of their languages or their first language, so we're mindful of that. And we're also mindful that um, many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people speak a dialect or an Aboriginal English, which is the way that their community talks. And we all speak the way that our community talks, so honouring that is really important. So things like standardised assessments that we do, um, sitting down and comparing each kid to each other um, and sort of marking them off where they are, whether they're average or below average or whether they've got severe delays, things like that just don't fit into the norms in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture. Um, there's a sense of community and a sense of not singling each other out and working together, which is sort of removed from speech pathology a lot. And then I thought, doing my research, if you can get in there and start building that rapport really early and take a community-based approach and a group-based approach rather than that individualistic, singling people out, focusing on what they can't do, um, focusing what they can do and how we can help them 
sort of better themselves within that community setting. It was like all the research I'd done and everything I'd seen on paper had come into fruition and I was experiencing it in real life. Yeah, it was just fantastic. You know, the partnership that we've created with Newcastle Uni just allows four students a year to go and have a placement up there and to have an experience, I guess a a life experience and unforgettable memories that will live with them forever. And I'm not just talking about their work and the incredible work that they do, students, and the impact and the outcomes they're achieving. I'm more talking about the cultural and the community aspect of that and learning about what it's like to work around Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and their community. And that's a tough gig. And it's one that you have to treat very lightly and respectfully. But, you know, Dalligan Preschool and the incredible uh, Aboriginal people up there and, the, you know, the rest of the team are just like a family. And for these young students to go in there and to feel supported, feel they belong in that preschool, that allows them to instantly set about doing what they need to do to improve you know, the communicating or the speaking or the the understanding of that little boy or girl. So our students need to uh, work through, obviously, their placement and their placement is an assessed placement. So the speech pathologist or the clinical educator will be assessing their progress and they need to demonstrate their competency across a number of different skills and this placement provides them with ample opportunities to do that. So it's brilliant. It's a wonderful opportunity to experience Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture in a real-world scenario. It's fantastic for our students to know about some of the communities they may be working with when they graduate. Not only are the students' professional practice being impacted in a profound way, but the benefits of the program also reverberate into the community and into the lives of family members of all the kids involved. You know, I have some great stories. Uh, one particular uncle that's up there who I know very well, he had three grandchildren that turned up at the school and he won't mind me sharing this story. Those children, unfortunately, weren't able to speak. Working with our speech therapists, he rang me up and he said, you know, the grandchildren come over now and they run in the house and they say, hey, Pop, can you take us down to the park? And he said, one month ago, they weren't doing that. They were walking in the house all shy and all that sort of stuff, couldn't talk. So, you know, he he, he was trying to hold back the tears when he was talking to me because it, it just completely changed not only the children's lives but his lives, the family, the relatives and, and the whole community. The impact and the emotion that it must feel for, you know, that old grandfather to to hear from his grandkids, you know, that's the impact that this work is having. Yeah, well, look, I was shocked because I didn't know a lot about speech therapy. Uh, you know, when we had our speech therapists going up there, it was constantly on their back about what is going on, what are the outcomes, what are we seeing? And within three or four weeks of a child turning up there that cannot talk or communicate or understand... In four weeks, that child was bouncing around so happy and stuff because they can understand now, they can talk now, and they feel that they belong there and they're incredibly happy about that. They want to belong. They want to feel like that school is a place where they can form friendships and, you know, 
get educated and all those sort of things. Did you ever think that going into big school, you know, how important is it when you're going into like, you know, kindergarten for her? Were you ever worried that she wouldn't be able to do that or she'd be behind her peers or anything like that? Was that a concern for you? Um, It was before she started the program and then when her um, speech improved, then, yeah, I really didn't have much worries about her making friends and communicating with other children. She still um, sings the songs and stuff in language and she passes it on to, like, her uh, her little cousins and, yeah. You mentioned earlier about, you know, the the collaboration, the the effort that everyone's put in to make this a reality. How, how would you describe that and the benefits that have come when it seems like everyone kind of works together in order to make something like this come alive? We're still all pinching ourselves, actually, to realise that it, it actually has come about and we do have students coming on placement here. The preschool are seeing results, the families are seeing results. We're seeing results in terms of our students. So it's actually been an amazing commitment from everybody involved. We just looked at each other and we said, I can't believe that we did this. You know, I can't believe that that child is is speaking. Everybody has in their head what they want to get out of this. And there's so many, I guess, aims. Um, You know, we want the children to be able to succeed. As I said, we want the families to feel comfortable. We want the staff to be able to connect with the students. We want the students to be able to gain from the experiences. Ultimately, I know we want to be able to extend this so that we have more Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students coming through the program so that they can then feel equipped to go out and support their communities as well. So the outcomes have been, I mean, it's a long, long pathway. That's probably the biggest thing. But we're, we're excited that we can still see benefits at this early stage. And I feel like even just having one of these programs running at the University of Newcastle as, you know, a First Nations young person, they might even just see that operating and see the value it has and maybe even start considering this as a career path for them. We hope so. Yeah, we hope so. We really, I guess we really value that this is an area that has been under-recognised, under-supported, and we really want to turn that around. The reward is life-changing and touches deep into your heart and it's a great feeling giving, eh, knowing that you're making a difference to someone and, like I said, uh, that giving and supporting that child will give them a great start and give them, hopefully, a good lifestyle, you know, a prosperous lifestyle, a healthy lifestyle and one that, you know, we all should have in our lives, you know. So it doesn't mean that you're in Kempsey that you should be without those things. For anyone uh, yeah. considering the profession or they're a city slicker and they're thinking of it um, going mm-hmm. out, do you love it? I can't tell. Give them a shout out. <laughs> do I? <laughs> oh, it is. It'll change your life. It's just fantastic. You can make it whatever you like and you can make it so fun and and the kids just think they're coming to play games with you and coming to um, have fun with you and you're really teaching them fundamental speech and language skills. So little um, do they know. Yeah. Little do they know. You're changing their lives. (laughs) The work the University of Newcastle students are doing in Kempsey is more than just fulfilling a placement. 
It's ensuring kids like Taylor are set up to live their best lives by offering support at the time that matters most. Setting kids up with the necessary skills for school gives them equal opportunity to thrive and empowers them to participate meaningfully in everyday interactions. Thanks to the partnership between the University of Newcastle, the Gunawira Organisation, Scribbly Gum and Dulaga Preschools and the Von Wheeler Foundation, students are encouraged to consider working in Aboriginal health, providing possible long-term solutions for the desperate shortages seen in regional areas like Kempsey. And the focus on delivering culturally appropriate therapy based on research led by the University of Newcastle ensures language is preserved through the children using it and the students integrating it. For any other parents that, you know, might have a program like this happening in their area, do you have any, you know, message for them that are thinking of having their kid or they're worried about their kid? Um, I think engaging the programs... Um, it really does help the children um, if they're worried about their communication skills and stuff. Um, engage. And you glad you did it? Yes. This podcast is a listener production brought to you in partnership with the University of Newcastle, hosted by me, Shani Wellington. Produced by Kelsey Menzies, executive producer is Todd Stevens, with audio production by Kelly Fulston. Listener.